This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined in a matter of moments, actually, by Senator James Lankford. Bottom of the hour, Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show. He's out of Seattle. You talk about uh, cities in chaos. He's been reporting that really for the last five, six years now. And now it's spread to Chicago, Philadelphia. It's still going on. New York, we're experiencing it. Almost every major city. In fact, I think it has a role with why the Dallas mayor has flipped parties, personally. Uh, before we get to the center from Oklahoma, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hunter Biden explicitly wrote to a business associate that he was not willing to, quote, sign over my family's brand or give this individual, quote, the keys to my family's only asset. Impeachment inquiry officially begins. As you heard Jason Smith start outlining what we'll hear about today as we learn more about the millions in Hunter's accounts now gone. And we see how many direct links, if any, Joe has. Number two. To the striking workers, I support you and your goal of fair wages and greater stability. But if your union leaders will not demand that Crooked Joe repeal his electric vehicle mandate immediately, then it doesn't matter what hourly word you get. Donald Trump, the far ahead, far, far ahead front runner, takes his team to Michigan, where he is trying to get past UAW union management and take back the blue collar worker and the state. Should he have been at the Reagan Library? You weigh in. Number one. This is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. That is a little Billy Madison-esque. Remember when Adam Sandler in graduation? A lot of people were offended by it. I thought it was good. Uh, debate number two is through. What do we learn? We have uh, the thrivers and the survivors, and we'll see who's going to be set for number three. Senator James Langford, more than likely, even though you're on finance, homeland security, government affairs, select committee on intel and ethics, now you learned you can dress up again when you go to work. Senator James Langford joins us now. Senator, I imagine you saw the, at least portions of the debate. I did. I did. And uh, you know what? I, I even wore a tie just during the debate. Thank you. To keep decorum there. Yeah. I appreciate it. What's your takeaway? You know, it, it is, again, a lot of great ideas that are out there. Debates have become sparring matches where everybody's trying to be able to get a sound bite that they can get played the next day on it or get a, a, a good jab in there. But ultimately, if you look at the policy issues, they're really talking about how different life will be if we can get someone other than Biden in the White House. Uh, and it's remarkable to think about 17 percent inflation just in the last three years, 17 percent. And uh, they were talking about gas prices. They were talking about all those different issues. So glad to be able to hear some debate on some substance. But uh, it, it seems to all be about uh, which which person get the best jab now. Well, what they were, what that sparring session was about people might not if you didn't watch. It was about TikTok. 
to me, they say, yeah. well, you want the young voter. The young voters on TikTok. And I ask yourself, you say, yourself, if you're pro-Chinese spy balloon, then stay on TikTok because it is a yeah. spying yeah. device. And they basically are admitting uh-huh. that now. So just have there's yeah, a right 100%. and wrong, right? I, I mean, what are you going to sell your soul in order to get in touch with 22-year-olds who like the cat videos? Yeah, it's more than cat videos. We know they're they're getting access to your contacts. They're getting access to your information. It's not just they're on on TikTok. It's that they have your information and they're on TikTok, so they're sharing it with the Chinese. And the Chinese are targeting what information they want to get to them. So it's going to be pro-China. It's going to they're developing algorithms to be able to make sure in moments that they want to be able to push their message to our young people. They have the opportunity to be able to do that. So. It is very much intentionally designed to be something that they can try to influence our culture with. And it's way more than t- uh, cat videos on it long term. So I, I got to tell you, I'm stunned that almost nothing's being done in the House to head off a government shutdown. Uh, it looks like the Senate has handed the House an idea to get you through November 17th. I've stopped looking at the details of it because it looks like the Speaker has no control of the Republicans in the House. There's nothing they can do to appease five or six people. So uh, where are we heading now? We've got to find a way to be able to not have shutdowns, but we do have to deal with the border issues. We do have to deal with the debt issues. Uh, The crazy thing is, is that the frustration I understand from the House, they want to say, when are we going to talk about the $33 trillion in debt? When are we going to talk about the 6 million people that have crossed the border in less than three years? When are we going to actually resolve that? That frustration is real. The problem is when you shut the government down, that the whole conversation is then about reopening the government, not about all those big things. So we've got to have moments that we can keep the government open, but also to be able to keep the fight going on these things. Because if we're going to have grown-up conversations about things, we've got to be able to resolve it. But I think people forget we're the United States of America. The entire world watches us, and we've got to be able to stand up and be leaders in the world of here's how you actually get stuff done. Here's what Nikki Haley suggested, cut nine. In 40 years, Congress has only delivered a budget on time four times in 40 years. If they don't keep the government open, they should not get paid. No pay, no budget. That's the way we should do it. How do you feel about that? It would affect you directly. Yeah, well, that that doesn't bother me in the sense to be able to do it. The funny thing for me is I actually have a proposal that I think is sharper than that one, and that is taking time away from members of Congress. Uh, not not to uh, be pejorative for any of my colleagues, I've got a lot of colleagues that are multi-multi-millionaires. They're really not thinking about their congressional pay. That really, it really doesn't affect them in their daily life. What does affect all of us is time. It says if we all of our budget work, we have to stay in session seven days a week. We can't do anything other than appropriations, and we're here. And if you take away weekends, if you take away travel, campaign events, all those things that puts pressure on members of Congress to say, let's get this resolved. The pressure point's not dollars around here with multimillionaire, which I'm not one of them, but there's a lot of multimillionaire members of Congress. That's not the pressure point. Time is the great equalizer. Take that away and to say we're stuck here looking at each other until we get it resolved. As I like to say, it's like what my mom used to do with my brother and I. When we got into an argument, she would lock the two of us in a room and would say, you guys can come out once you get this resolved to be able to do that. That will make an impact. Yeah, you would think that, number one, the House would have been meeting over the summer because you want to get those appropriation bills done. And they don't even 
approach and they said, well, I want the appropriation bills done. Well, you guys didn't even come back in August. You could even Zoom yep. call some of this stuff. I mean, that's what we would do. You got a project due in September. Don't tell me you're off. Get it done. You got to come back to work. So having said that, a continuing resolution would allow you to negotiate that in real time. Just give you a month and then you could debate on the substance each chamber comes up with and each committee emerges with. And that's the old fashioned way to do it. I thought they were going to do things on regular order. I want to fast forward to the border that everybody's talking about. By the way, KRMG listeners are thrilled you're on with us over uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, The border crisis. CBP sources confirmed to Fox that there were more than 11,000 migrant encounters at the southwest border in the last 24 hours. 12,000 the day before. We know that through the ports of entry, mostly fentanyl is being smuggled through. We have never seen a surge like this. We got the Secretary of State, instead of pressuring Central and South America, doing a music festival yesterday with muddy muddy waters. And then you got the President of the United States at a fundraiser. How, what percentage of the Democratic Party understands how bad this is? You know, it's interesting. There are more and more members of the, at least the Democrats in the Senate that are starting to talk about it and say, okay, this is really bad. we got to be able to resolve this. And what Biden's proposals have been for the last three years is how to keep this out of the news. I mean, they had the, the explosion of people coming across the border early in his presidency, and so they figured out we got to move people across the border faster because if they end up in groups, it looks bad. So don't let them gather under a bridge. Don't let big groups be gathered in the Border Patrol stations. Let's just process people faster across the border. That's been his focus rather than deterring people from actually crossing the border. Now even members of the Democrat Senate are starting to say, this is an absolute disaster, and uh, we're starting to get more and more people to talk about how do how do they actually resolve this. And let me give you a number. You threw some numbers out that are are, are amazing on, and that's correct. Eleven thousand people in a single day illegally crossing the border. We've had as many people illegally cross the border in less than three years of the Biden administration as in the previous twelve years combined. You take both terms of the Obama administration and the Trump administration, combine them, we've now had more in less than three years than the previous 12 years. This administration is focused on getting people in rather than deterring people out. And there's some simple ways to solve this, Brian. You know this. Clarify what the word asylum means. When people cross the border and just say, I fear in my country, and this administration just waves them in, we've got to make sure that this administration and no future administration can abuse the word asylum and just wave everyone into the country. That's not what asylum means, uh, that just to say the magic words, I got fear in my country, and you're automatically in. Uh, it has specific meaning, and we need to make sure that's clear in law. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is uh, pretty clear. You have to pressure the Central and South American countries in which they're passing through. I'm not saying that right. they're all from Guatemala or a lot of from Venezuela, but you got to stop them there. And whatever John Trump did, the Mexican government was cooperating in Arbador, and Trump got along great. So the socialist yep. got along great with the businessman, and everyone said it was going to be just the opposite when they got off to that relatively controversial start about paying for the wall. But these are some of the things that have come up. Does it matter to the people of Oklahoma? Oh, it absolutely matters to the people of Oklahoma. We experience it all the time. As we say all the time, every state is a border state. Because every state is being overrun by fentanyl. Every state is dealing with migrants just hanging out in their cities, overwhelming shelters, overwhelming uh, different communities, school districts, everything else. Everyone's experiencing it in my state just like they are in every other state. And the challenge of it is the Biden administration is not even trying to slow it down. 
So we have to get a consensus in the Senate. And that is the hard work. you got to get 60 people in the Senate to all say, yes, mm-hmm. this is a problem, and yes, we're going to solve it. And trying to be able to get Democrats to go on board against their own administration has been brutal. They'll say it privately. This is a major problem. But they've got to go publicly on record and to say stop to their own president and to be able to make this stop. And if we can't get 60 in the Senate to be able to move this, we're still just as stuck. It's kind of like uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were raising Cain during the Trump administration when he was building the wall and they couldn't stop him from that. We're in the same spot now that we can raise Cain on Biden when he's not enforcing the law. But he is the president. He does have some authorities to be able to do. You can't compel him to do that until we can actually get a law on his desk and say we're going to actually enforce the law. The former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson under Obama, and I'll paraphrase, he said, if you want to make sure that that Donald Trump goes back to the White House, leave the border open. Uh, That should be that should be the wake up call. So ridiculously, uh, Senator Schumer decided to loosen the dress code because uh, Senator Fetterman is having trouble getting dressed or finding a suit his size. But that is not okay with Democrats or Republicans, it seems. Here's what Joe Manchin said yesterday on the Senate floor. Cut. The very last cut, 42. If the election were being held today, would you vote for Joe Biden for re-election? Well, I never thought about that because I have not gotten to that point yet. You know, for 234 years, every senator has had uh, the honor of serving in this distinguished body, has assumed that there were some basic written rules of decorum and conduct and civility, uh, one of which was a dress code. Just after a week ago, we learned that uh, there were not, in fact, any written rules about the senators, uh, and we cannot wear, and what they could and could not wear on the floor. So, Senator Romney and I got together, and we thought maybe it's time that we finally codify something that was presidented law for, presidented rule for 234 years. So we we drafted uh, this simple uh, two-page resolution that'll put all of that to bed once and for all by just codifying the long-standing practices into a Senate rule, which makes it very clear for the uh, sergeant of arms to be able to enforce. So what does this mean? Well, it actually means we wear suits and ties again. Thankfully, Joe Manchin, when he put put in the rule that's been in place just in basic decorum for decades now, thankfully he didn't go all the way back, so there's no powdered wigs or tall white socks that are going to be required uh, on the floor of the Senate. But we are going to have to wear a suit and tie. Again, this is the United States Senate and the United States of America. Why are we having a conversation that you shouldn't wear hoodies and shorts on the floor of the United States Senate? It just demeans again. We're already having an issue to say the American people are looking at, can those guys get anything done? If they look at people in, in hoodies and shorts and say, oh, my gosh, what, what in the world uh, is this? So from what they put in place was just what should have been there and should have been assumed all along. All right. So so they got to vote on it. It's going to be there? If You, you think you're going to oh, get no, enough votes? Done. Oh, it's done. done. Okay, good. It was passed last night in the Senate. And uh, if you want to say one thing actually got done, it was putting back in a dress code uh, back in the Senate to be able to say, everybody, put on a suit. You're going to work. So are you do you believe this is Donald Trump's nomination to lose? Do you think that it's, it's inevitable right now? Not inevitable, but it's definitely his to lose at this point. He is way, way ahead. And uh, but there's not been a single vote that's been cast. So as everyone says, polls don't vote. People do. And uh, so at this point, we're waiting to get to the very first uh, elections that will actually happen, the caucuses in Iowa. Then we'll start getting to New Hampshire and South Carolina. It'll take off from there. But we still have months to go before we get there. But no doubt he's way ahead. I just want to get to, to this story that you wrote 
Uh, you think it's really important the administration has decided to shut down the rail crossing at Eagle Pass in order to divert the CBP personnel to deal with the flood of migrants at the southern border? You also want answers on why the administration decided to suspend commercial traffic in El Paso and Eagle Pass? Uh, what's behind all this? So last weekend, there was just a flood of migrants came in at Eagle Pass. And so DHS took people off the commercial crossing and used those staff to help transport migrants to be able to, again, expedite people faster into the country. But when they did that, they shut off the rail traffic. We had Union Pacific trains that were backed up from Eagle Pass all the way to Nebraska, waiting to be able to get across that crossing because there was no access point to be able to get out. It's harvest season. There's a lot of materials that are going south into Mexico that the United States couldn't sell because we're being overrun by people crossing the border. And Border Patrol, not Border Patrol, but CBP is trying to be able to figure out how to be able to manage the chaos. So I was on the phone with Mayorkas last weekend saying, what in the world? You, you have to get rail crossings open at this point, and we've got to be able to manage the border. So this is not only affecting people inbound, mm-hmm. now it's affecting commerce outbound because Amazing. they can't manage what's happening at the border. Senator James Langford, full plate. Hopefully you guys can stay open and fund the government along the way. Senator James Langford, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And yet we don't get any answers because Joe Biden hides in his basement and won't answer as to why he's raising the debt the way he's done. And Donald Trump hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are suffering. Yeah, overall, I, Chris Christie is so comfortable in the debates. He could just do it all day. Uh, also defending his own record. Nothing really seemed to throw him because he was in a purple state. A lot of things when you're in a Republican debate, uh, you have to do and hard to defend. But he had no problem doing that. I thought Tim Scott really came out strong and was very steady. He was tackling, talking less about his biography and more about what he would do and what he has done. I was surprised they had him spar with Nikki Haley. They said, take her on, basically. I thought that was weird. Uh, but the moderators, for the most part, did real good. Um, but I would also say, too, that I thought Governor DeSantis in the beginning wasn't called on, but really finished up strong. He looked like the guy that's been giving speeches and engaging in interviews for the past uh, four or five years. So Phil also looked very comfortable up there. And no one doubts that Nikki Haley knows just about something about everything. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show 
put people back to work. We are using taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home than to go to work. That is wrong. We achieved uh, energy independence. We became a net exporter of energy for the first time in 75 years. But on day one, Joe Biden declared a war on energy. We are paying higher gas prices, higher grocery prices, $7,000 more a year for families. What we need to do is, I came out with an economic plan, eliminate the gas and diesel tax so that they have more money in their pocket. We've got to address the underlying problem with Bidenomics, the overspending, taking all Biden's rules and regulations. I'm going to throw them in the trash can on day one. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of executive orders that really hurt our uh, our energy independence. And now we're paying it on average 388. And uh, a lot of the Fox people out in the West Coast cannot believe people are paying over $6 a gallon uh, because of Governor Newsom and his ridiculous regulations and his demands on so-called clean blends that aren't cleaner but just more expensive. And now we're seeing, I never thought we'd ever see $6 gas. What did I know? Jason Rands is in studio now, host of the Jason Rand Show on KTT, uh, KTTH Radio over in Seattle and author of a brand new book, What's Killing America. He looks inside what's going on, what's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities. Uh, first off, uh, great to see you, Jason, in person. What was your takeaway from the from the debate? I, I was less been impressed this time around. I thought the first debate was really strong. I thought Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley showed up last night. They were the ones who seemed the most serious about running for president and everyone else was kind of playing a role. I thought we have to shorten this thing. We got to get it uh, to fewer people. Bergam was annoying as hell on this debate stage. It was just it was too much. And I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the attention that he's not getting. But there's a reason you're not getting any attention. Tim Scott, I thought, did relatively well, although I thought the first half of the debate, he came off as too aggressive, which I don't think anyone has ever said that about about Tim Scott. Uh, Nikki Haley, I thought, had an off night. She has a lot of substance and she's incredibly competent, but she was sniping too much. And I thought it turned. She did a lot of opposition research. Yeah, it was just it was a little bit too much, whereas I thought she had a good mix the first time around. Ron DeSantis was no this is not his fault, but he was nowhere to be seen almost in in the first half of the debate. But I thought at the end of it, he really ended strongly. He's got Mm. a lot of substance. He's a very clear threat. And the rest of them are just kind of there. Yeah, I thought it was a real Ron DeSantis even this time. The last time it was wound tight because he knew so much was at stake. Yep. All we saw was his numbers falling. And Trump's over in Michigan giving a speech to try to look past union management to the union mm-hmm. members and say, you know who's responsible for this? You know the answer. It's the electric car. And it's yep. the subsidies that making people think about and maybe purchase the electric car. The game is rigged. If you look at uh, who had the most speaking time, DeSantis had 1227, number one. Uh, Vivek, 11.53, then Scott, 10.42, followed by Christie, 10.32, Pence, 9.35, uh, Haley had nine minutes and five seconds, and Bergham had seven minutes and 35 seconds. I don't think they called him in, at all in the first half hour. I think he they, they gave him one question, I think. But, I yeah. mean, you're right. He he. First of all, when I look at that list, other than Haley, I kind of expect that those numbers are where they are. It's basically based on your polling. I, I expect that the front runner is going to get more airtime. And I expect the one who no one's ever heard of. You think that's okay? Yeah, I do think it's okay. At the end of the day, a lot of the the rules to get on that stage is about your support within the progressive or progressive base, the the right wing base, the conservative base. And I think that they want to hear more from those folks. So I think one mistake, especially as it relates to your book, is border security is number one. It's never been worse in my life. Government spending, number two. 
Then education, the third best, uh, most talked about topic, foreign policy, race. Crime was, uh, uh, looks like it was 10th, two minutes and 13 seconds on crime. Yeah. We see what happened in Philadelphia. We see what happens regularly in New York. We see in Chicago. Then you add in the illegal immigrants, and we see Seattle on a daily basis, Los Angeles. Uh, crime is a huge issue. Crime is a big issue. The problem is I don't think there are enough people connecting the dots as to why crime is such a big issue. And that's why I wrote my book. I mean, at some point, we have to step back and say a lot of these crimes are avoidable. The looting that's out of control is avoidable. We are making policy decisions that are creating these cultural shifts, a culture of lawlessness that these criminals are taking advantage of. Turns out, and I know this is going to be shocking to some people, but when you tell criminals we're not going to punish you, guess what? They continue to commit crimes. When we tell juveniles, don't worry, we're not going to throw you in jail, they end up getting behind the wheel of a car and running some poor man over as he's right. on his bicycle. We are clearly spiraling. But local media in general, like on the TV side, where they have a huge reliance on gaining access to the Democrats who are in power in these Democrat-run cities, counties, and states, they're just not pointing the finger and thus, you have a lot of people who recognize something's going on. They know that the crime rate is up or they're seeing drug use all the time, homelessness, while also paying through the roof just to get a, you know, right. their, their home. But they don't know why it's happening. And so if you don't know the why, you're not going to be able to change the direction. I agree. Uh, also, do you think they're at the point now when it comes to crime that these Democratic mayors are going, my goodness, this is going to kill us? And now it's killing – forget about my party. This is going to kill this city. We watched uh, Eric Adams say this regularly, mm-hmm. and then we see the Dallas mayor switch parties. Yeah, I mean that was a huge decision for him, and, and I'm sure there was some politics at play. But for the most part, this was a guy who was very, very popular. He, I, I think the last time he ran, he didn't have even a challenge. African-American guy. Yeah, so for him to go ahead and, and make that switch in such a public way I thought was really important. The problem is we still see some of these big city mayors just choosing to ignore the crisis or taking no responsibility. We have some exceptions on some topics, but for the most part, they're not really doing anything any differently. What we are seeing are the, the mayors outside of these big cities because what happens is not Vegas. What happens in Seattle or San Francisco, New York, it doesn't stay there. It yeah. spreads. And then you've got Democrat mayors in smaller communities or mid-sized cities saying, okay, we're not down with this far-left cause that's coming out of these big Democrat-run cities. But also you're seeing yeah, 900 CVSs closing up. Yep. Uh, yesterday they announced nine targets were closing up, many of them run down areas. And if you're thinking about yourself, you're working, you're barely paying your bills, you're a single parent, it's great to go to Target. They have – we kid around about it, but they got everything. They literally yeah. have everything. So the convenience of being there is gone, but they have to lock it all up. Most of the reason is because of the shoplifting. It's all shoplifting and crime. I mean, when you look specifically at this particular list, and kudos to Target for coming out and actually saying that. Oftentimes when we have some of these big retailers closing, they don't really want to get into the world of politics. Even though I don't see crime as political, it's become political. They're flat out telling us. And you can go into other stores in Seattle, for example, the downtown Target. Almost everything is behind lock and key. It is Obscene. Do you how annoying that is? It's incredibly annoying. I, I get upset about razors. I'm mean, used to for the longest time they lock up razors. I'm like, oh my goodness, now I got to get somebody. You got to find tag. someone. Now that's everything. 
It really is. And we're talking about like low level items, but they're constantly getting stolen, right. sto- uh, sold on the black market, used to purchase whatever the drug of choice is of the addict. That's really driving a lot of this. We also have some significant retail theft schemes that are going on. It's organized crime taking advantage because they know even if they were to get caught, which is very rare because in most of these cities, we don't have enough police officers. They're not going to get charged and they're not going to see any jail time. So what is the disincentive for some of these people? So uh, when I laugh at, at the stage last night and people say, well, we're going to crack down on crime, we're going to support the cops, so I'm going to get federal prosecutors in, I'm thinking to myself, all right, you, I know you're the same party and you've got to separate yourself from Donald Trump, but Donald Trump sent federal troops in in Portland. And he said he offered, he offered the National Guard in the south side of Chicago until we can settle this down and stop the killings. They're absolutely not. People are offended. They're going to be the problem when he sent them in. Mm-hmm. They were the target. Why dare you bring federal troops here like shock troops? Excuse me? So now, if you're on that stage last night, one of the seven, you can't just say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Don't say that Trump, yeah, it happened under Trump with George Floyd and everything like that. But he also went out of his way to try to squelch it, yeah. and court stopped him. Trump was not the problem here. He was trying to offer the solutions. And at the time, I remember, because I write about this in What's Killing America, Lori Lightfoot said, oh, no, we don't want it here. Uh, Jenny Durkin, mayor at the time of Seattle, said exactly the same thing. And then once he was out of office, Lori Lightfoot then suddenly said, actually, hey, Joe Biden, can you please help us here? We can offer help at a federal level. The truth is when it comes to crime, there's not going to be that much from a policy perspective that can be done in the president's office. However... The bully pulpit is incredibly important, and you're setting the tone, saying we're not going to put up with this. This lawlessness is over. Calling out the individual cities that have leaders who are not taking this seriously, I, I think that that matters. So is that what prompted you to write the book? Is it just from what you saw in Seattle where you live? Well, it, that obviously prompted a lot of it, but you know, on, on the network, I cover cities all across the country, and I'm seeing the same things unfold. And look what and, happened in Philadelphia this week. Exactly, and you've got people who are trying to justify that. Oh, they're just trying to feed themselves, yes, by stealing from the Apple store. That's right. the, the iPhones are really <laughs> tasty. They're, they're clearly trying to justify the end result of their policies. And because we're seeing the same problems creep up from city to city to city, I decided to look at the policy behind it. It's the same policies. It's the same policies over and over again. We all clearly understand the drug crisis out of control. I can go outside right now and ask someone to define what harm reduction is. Not a single person will have a clue. Well, guess what? That's the reason why we have such a horrible drug crisis right now. And if we don't know that, how do we get rid of the policy? You can't get rid of a policy you don't know exists. Right. So what's killing America connects those dots and gives people those tools so that we can actually take our communities back. So the thing is, do people in those communities realize how bad it is? You mentioned that Jesse went down there and did a man on the street to talk about the problem with Seattle yep. crime. And you were saying the final montage looks like there's no problem. And these people were happy. They put one over on them. But what is the reality? Yeah, they're owning the cons because they're pretending that there's not a crisis. Here's the reality in Seattle right now. We are on pace to exceed an all-time high homicide number. All-time high. We are on pace, and we will hit this probably within the next few weeks, to see an all-time fatal overdose number. That's the reality. And so for some of those folks to turn to uh, Jesse Waters and basically saying, oh, no, I've never seen any crime whatsoever. We're all happy and glad. And someone dismissing uh, the fact that someone was just like openly shooting up. Oh, oh, so you were bothered by that. How did that impact you? 
Well, it impacts me because I don't want to see someone dying on our streets. Yeah. I, I, the privileged white progressive lady. Why doesn't it bother you? Yeah. They, they pretend that it's not a big deal because they're using these people as human props. Uh, it's, it's so obvious all their programs aren't working. Yes. So they, you got to feel as though the people are going to demand they change or get this. People are going to understand we have to change. All right. Uh, uh, Jason's going to stick around for another segment. We have a couple more minutes. The name of his book that is now out as of today, What's Killing America? He talks about the drugs in this country. And then we'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just don't like. Well, I don't like people that demonize other people or 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 uh, or go after vulnerable communities. But I also don't like liars. He, Nikki Haley, laid him out tonight. He signed a 2019 executive order. I'm a governor. I know what an executive order is. Why would you sign an executive order saying you will not do offshore oil rigs in your backyard, and then blame Biden for not doing right. more across the country? I have- well, one thing has nothing to do with the other. What Biden has done is shut down oil that we had in development in Anwar. And, and what he's done with private land and stopping drilling on, on federal land is just made us. And by the way, not converting uh, these refineries into something else and giving some other function, knowing we need refineries. That's one part of the reason why Russia and Saudi Arabia are really controlling our, our energy economy. Jason Rance knows all about that. We have a few more minutes with him. His author, he's author of a brand new book, What's Killing America, and he talks about what's going wrong in our uh, inner city. You saw Gavin Newsom. What was Gavin Newsom up to showing up last night? I mean, he's clearly up to something. What precisely it is, we're all still trying to figure out because he either knows something about what's going on behind the scenes that we don't or he's really playing the long game here. And perhaps he is. Maybe that is him playing the long game that he doesn't anticipate a reelection for Joe Biden. He wants to be the more obvious choice over Kamala Harris, who no one seems to like or thinks is competent. Either way, it's going to continue to see. We're going to see more of the infighting, and it is going to spill over into the public. They're, they're really good on the left of keeping all of that stuff behind the scenes. Right. But I don't know how much longer that's going to last if you have Kamala versus Gavin. So I, so Kelly and Kamala looked it up. You have to be on the ballot if you want to be in Nevada by October 15th of this year. I mean, I looked at the calendar. It's getting pretty close because he doesn't look like he can do it. It's not an unpopular president. That's one thing. You know, Truman goes, ah, LBJ goes, you know, think my numbers aren't looking good. Why don't I just – I've had enough. Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll bow out. But this is different. This is can he even do the job? Can, yeah. Does he even know about doing the job? He doesn't, hasn't done an interview since July. No press conferences. Uh, just uh, pretends he can't hear people. As he walks by compared to the other guy that we had there. So what is Gavin Newsom up to? Sean asked him. Cut 21. I'm looking forward. I was just in Chicago with the DNC. I don't need the long answer. I want the yes or no answer. To, to President Biden's uh, inauguration. Will you accept this under any circumstance? It's, it's, it's a hypothetical. Yes or no? That, that, no. No. Because under it's any circumstances. It's ridiculous. Joe Biden's our you president. Me ridiculous. Ridiculous. Have we ever had anyone say yes to that question? Ever. Ever. Are you running for president? Right now, I'm focused on the great people of California. They never answer that question. Youngkin, too, is the same way. Literally everyone, regardless of how they identify politically. So no one really is going to answer that question directly. I I think he's clearly running. I just don't know when he's running. Right. We don't know if it's yet. But the problem is 
his state has been run into the ground. You wrote a book about crime, uh, Jason Rance. Your book is now out. It is. It, it really talks about what's killing America and its terrible policies that put the criminal first. First and foremost, it's San Francisco where he was mayor. Yep. It's Los Angeles. They're the capital of homelessness. They've been overrun by illegal immigrants. Their tax base, whatever it is, is going to people who don't belong here. They don't have any interest in keeping a border wall up. Yeah, and education is in shambles. And all of those topics are actually in the book. But here's the problem. Here's why I wrote What's Killing America. Do you get that sense when you're looking at the media outside of conservative media? Does anyone get critical of California? Does CNN and MSNBC or the New York Times and Washington Post, are they ever critical of what's going on in California or even San Francisco? There was an article just a couple days ago in the New York Times about San Francisco saying, oh, we're okay. You're okay? What are you talking about? Your crime rate is through the roof. You've got people dying in record numbers. Businesses are closing down and people are leaving your city. San Francisco is one of the only cities I truly believe Mm -hmm. it might be too late for. But all these other communities, all these other cities and towns that are struggling right now and feel like they're on the precipice of failure, they can be saved if you know how to save them. And so I try to give those tools so people know how to save their own communities. Does the Republicans even get in there to these cities and say, look at me? I don't know if it has to be a Republican. I think it needs to be moderate Democrats. You're not going to get Republicans to save San Francisco, uh, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, D.C. You're just not going to get that. But can you at least tell the Democrats who are the voters there that the radicals who have usurped all of this power Mm -hmm. from the party that they've gone too far? Gavin Newsom on the border. Cut 22. The border, we, we all agree we have a border challenge. We all agree challenge? We, need to, we need to reform the asylum system. We agree in strong borders. That's uh, wildly overstated, but I get your fundamental point. Clearly, the challenges are more acute today. And by the way, I don't need to be educated on this. I have the largest land port in the Western Hemisphere here in the state of California. He doesn't need to be educated, does he? Uh, well, no, I think he does. And I think anyone who's aware of what's going on on the border thinks all Democrats have to be educated. Uh, I think Republicans should... I think he's vulnerable when you examine him, but he's so much more formidable than Biden. You don't want to you don't want to take out the president before the election in any way. I totally agree. Let him run. (laughs) Jason Rance, congratulations uh, on the book. Uh, Pick it up. It's called What's Killing America. Uh, Jason, go get him. Thank you. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, a town that, um, a city that has scaffolding everywhere. I just realized this. Wherever you walk, there is scaffolding. And you're just weaving in and out of this like it's an obstacle course. And I'm just wondering how much are just people uh, just refuse to take it down? They just want the protection against maybe uh, possible criminals. I'm not sure, but uh, can we please take it down and just finish up what you're doing? Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Mark Thiessen, whose column yesterday was all over the debate last night. Uh, And we're also going to be joined by Doug Schoen, a Democratic pollster, works with the Clintons for years, who also is a key advisor for Mike Bloomberg's presidential run. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hunter Biden explicitly wrote to a business associate that he was not willing to, quote, sign over my family's brand or give this individual, quote, the keys to my family's only asset. 
Impeachment inquiry officially begins right now. I'm looking at it as we learn more about the millions in Hunter's account and where it's gone because it seems to be missing. And we see how direct, if there are any direct links, to Joe. Number two. To the striking workers, I support you and your goal of fair wages and greater stability. But if your union leaders will not demand that Crooked Joe repeal his electric vehicle mandate immediately, then it doesn't matter what hourly words you get. Right. It's absolutely true. Uh, Donald Trump, the far ahead front runner, takes his team to Michigan and his message where he's trying to get past UAW union management, who is socialist, and take back the blue collar worker in Michigan. Should he have uh, been at the Reagan Library? Will he be at debate number three? Number one. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Wow. And that was how aggressive uh, Nikki Haley was. Debate two is through. Uh, what did we learn? Uh, where, uh, who are the thrivers and who are the survivors? Uh, because I'm pretty sure we're not going to have debate number three with seven people on the stage. Mark Thiessen joins us now. He's full-time uh, he's our Fox News contributor, one of our favorites, and he is a Washington Post columnist. Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So first off, uh, your uh, column really exposed some of the business connections and past business practices of Vivek Ramaswamy. We surprised Senator Tim Scott was the first to bring it up, followed up by, uh, followed up by uh, Mike Pence and followed up by Nikki Haley. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was great. I mean, I think they called him out on it, which they should have. I mean, look, let's just let me just give you the facts so people understand what they were talking about, because they each each just basically said he was taking money from the same people as Hunter Biden. Vivek Ramaswamy started a company, a, a, a company in China called Sinovant. Uh, and he partnered with the son of the number five official in the in the Chinese Politburo and the Communist Party's propaganda chief to do that. He says that he then like stopped his investment when it went and and pulled out. That's not true. Two years later, that was in 2017. In 2019, he did another one billion dollar investment with the same guy. It's only four, that's only four years ago. So you know he he lied on the debate stage. The wife of that guy is the same person whose company funneled $5 million to Hunter Biden. So this is, is she, and she is the daughter of the Chinese Minister of State Security, who's the guy who runs the Chinese gulag and who runs all of their foreign influence operations. So if you believe that the $5 million that they were giving to Hunter Biden was part of a Chinese influence operation in the United States, that's who Vivek Ramaswamy was doing business with. And the other thing he has in common with Hunter Biden is his, neither of their companies produced anything. <laughs> they, I thought they, they did. did they, they didn't do any biotech. They they ended up doing nothing. They ended up doing nothing. They produced nothing. He made. He says he made no money from it. The whole thing collapsed. So it ended up being. It, it, and he he says this is a virtue. I've learned my lesson about you know doing business with the Chinese communists. All the rest of it. He was doing business with the top members of the Chinese Politburo uh, son four years ago. So this is not like, you know, like a decade ago, he made a mistake and learned from it. And he's been a he's been a hard. And then also, interestingly enough, Vivek Ramaswamy is the only candidate who wants to hand Taiwan over to communist China. He said that after 2028, America will not defend Taiwan. So he's given him a green light. And oh, by the way, he also said he'd be open to uh, to uh, pardoning Hunter Biden. 
So the guy who was doing business with the Chinese Communist Party and taking money from the same family that gave money to Hunter Biden wants to give communist China their number one foreign policy go and also would consider uh, pardoning Hunter Biden. I think that's pretty damning. Well, there's a, there's a one thing I know you can appreciate. Well, that that's a lot. Um, more than many people knew at 37 years old. He certainly has got some things to explain. He also, when he was on with Chuck Todd a couple of weeks ago, had seemed to have forgotten what he wrote in his book about Donald Trump. So I think a little bit you should get in front of these things. Not everyone, you, no perfect person's ever going to run for president. There's going to be things in your background, but you've got to get ahead of it and explain it. I thought that, you know, he's got, he's self-financing. He's got money. You would think that yeah. someone would be combing through the book and say, this is going to be a problem. This is going to be a problem. Uh, we got to address this. But you were the first one to bring it up. Yeah. And and but and now everybody's starting to know about it because three candidates brought it up on the debate stage. So uh, it's a good thing that people are knowing. And look, there are certain things that you can get ahead of and explain. And there's certain things that can't be explained. I mean, I'm sorry, but dealing doing business with the guy with the family who runs the Chinese gulag and then saying you're tough on China. But you also want to. And again, if he didn't have if he wasn't saying, uh, oh, I want I'm not going to defend Taiwan. You can have Taiwan. And I would and uh, I would not pardon Hunter Biden. OK, fine. But it just seems a funny coincidence that he's in business with the highest ranking people in the Chinese Communist Party four years ago, four years ago. And he wants to give them their number one foreign policy objective and pardon Hunter Biden. So just it's I don't know how you explain that, but I'd love to see it. I just want to finish this off. I just want to tell the American people this. I know a lot of you have TikTok on your phones. And I get it. People like it. I've seen this a few times. But as soon as I found out what was behind it, and what they were up to, and now you even have the American executive say, I can't say for sure that the Chinese government is walled off from this information anymore. And I know I've got called up by two people that I really respect to say, would I take a meeting with TikTok officials to explain how it's not a problem? I thought, no, no, thank you. Uh, I'll make my own decision. You take it off. And anyway, I know you take it off from federal uh, governments to take it off. You just there's no question. Don't tell me I need to get their votes. You take it off. It's a national security issue. And I just say, look, if you are okay with the Chinese spy balloon going over our military installations, then keep TikTok on. It is the same thing. So Vivek Ramaswamy said this yesterday. Cut 13. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. Kids under the age of social under the age of 16 should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. And he goes on to say, I got to go on TikTok to reach the 150 million users. But, and that, that's what Joe Biden's doing. You know, sitting there with people with nose rings, purple hair, Indian style with uh, with tight shorts uh, and, you know, who is gender fluid. They are influencers and you want to use them to get to their people. But that means you've gave basically gave up all your integrity to do it. You know, Barack Obama was doing the same thing in 2022. You can't go for TikTok. Simple. No, 100 percent. It's like saying, well, I got to I got to go use fentanyl so that I can get to understand the fentanyl users. I mean, it's 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 a it's a drug. It's an it's a it's a you know, it's a cyber narcotic. And here's the thing that people don't understand about TikTok is that it's not just being on TikTok that is bad. If you have TikTok on your phone, it can read and record your keystrokes on other apps. 
So the Chinese Communist Party is collecting data, metadata, of all of your keystrokes. So if you type in your password to your bank account, they have that. If you type in your username, they have that. If you send a text message and then decide to erase it and never send it, they have that. They can collect your keystrokes. And they're keeping it on, in a, in a, in a, on servers that they can later use to exploit. This is the, you know, this is the most pervasive and nefarious sur Chinese surveillance tool of millions of Americans that exists. And to say, well, I'm going to go on it just to reach young people is, is, is patently absurd. What was your takeaway from last night? I mean, who do you think uh, did better? Who disappointed you? Um, I'm not. I don't want to go negative, but I will. I would. I will say. I thought Nikki Haley did a great job. She she had two super strong debates in a row. Uh, she is super impressive. I think Ron DeSantis had a very good night. Uh, I think he kept jumping in and saying, "Yeah, I, in Florida, I did that. I did that." You know, uh, that was that was very effective. Uh, you know, and uh, Chris, Chris Christie is not going to be the nominee, but he was. Uh, but he was very effective last night. I would love to see him get out of the race and, and challenge Bob Menendez in New Jersey. He doesn't want to do it. I, I know that yeah, for I sure. Know. I, he made that clear. Yeah, I know. So Tim, know. Tim Scott, I thought was, Tim Scott had um, the most improved award. Here he is yeah, helping me out on Ukraine because I think you and I are on an island. Republicans don't think this is worth it. We should quit another military operation. Cut 15. Ninety percent of the resources that we send over to Ukraine is guaranteed. It's a loan. It is not ninety percent of the money that we send over there is loan. Well, we can talk about this, but at the end of the day, 90% of the money that we send over there is actually We're in the form of a loan. It's not actually not be paid by Ukraine. It's paid by the NATO, our NATO allies. So I think it's number a good one, topic. Two. I it's think a it's a really topic good topic, too. I will say, let's, t let's, let's debate the fact that our national vital interest is in degrading the Russian military. True. But that would never say it like that to defend Ukraine, to let them degrade the uh, uh, Russian military because they yeah. invaded. You don't just degrade somebody's military because you don't like them. But they invaded another country who's an ally of ours, who only wants to be part of the European Union and NATO. That's their aspiration, who is doing the best they can to be an aspiring democracy uh, that, that uh, eradicates corruption like we all do. So look at Senator Menendez. Obviously, we're not done with it. So. To me, it's obvious it's in our interest, but it's not obvious to most of the Republican Party. And Tim Scott is probably one of maybe four on that stage. They feel that way. Yeah, so I don't think we're on, on such a small island as you seem to think we are, Brian. I think that the majority of Republicans, I think the polling shows the majority of Republicans want Ukraine to win, side with Ukraine, support Ukraine. There is a question. I think a lot of people have a question of whether we have a strategy to win in Ukraine. And 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 so they're reluctant to keep spending money when we don't have, seem to have a strategy to win because Biden keeps slow rolling all the weapons and all the rest of it. But the vast majority of Republicans agree with us. I think there's some some very loud voices on the other side uh, that that make it sound like they're outsized in, in their support. But, I mean, we just had a vote on Ukraine a little while ago in the, in the on the defense appropriation bill about a month or two ago, and two thirds of the Republicans in Congress voted in favor of the aid to Ukraine. So the majority of our elected members of Congress are, are with us. The majority of the 
the Republican voters out there are with us. The problem is, is just that, that the Biden administration is so incompetent, they don't trust the Biden administration. And also, Biden is not going out and making the case uh, for uh, for uh, for Ukraine as a out of our national interest. If you had a if if, if if we had a leader who was going out and explaining to the American people why it's in our national interest, Republicans and Americans generally are very supportive of, of helping the Ukrainians. They know who the bad guys are. Mm. Maybe they know, but they're not saying it. I <laughs> wish you were right. Good, you know, I wish you were right. I, I, I just don't I think you, you are. Thing? Yeah. You know, I, 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 th- I think I am, and I think the polling shows it, and I think the votes in Congress show it. But here's the other thing. Joe Biden is devastating the cause of Ukraine by not securing our border because the, he no you kidding. keep hearing from some of from these people on the uh, on the on the isolationist right saying he cares more about Ukraine's borders than our borders. I know. And you can't say that's not true. I know. Because he doesn't care about our border. So, you know, you think I'm comfortable being the same side as Sean Penn? Do you think I'm comfortable backing a military operation with Joe Biden leading it? You know, honestly, Ronald Reagan lies in it was lying in 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 rest. 100 yards from that debate stage. And when some of those people were talking about Ukraine, he was spinning in his grave at that debate site. Seriously, this is the Reagan doctrine. That we're implementing in Ukraine. Everybody, you know, drawing analogies to you to to Iraq. Iraq. Imagine Iraq is Vietnam. When Ronald Reagan came into office, nobody wanted to send American troops around the world, but he knew we had to fight for freedom. We knew we had to stand up to to our enemies. And so he launched the Reagan Doctrine, where we gave money to the Nicaraguan Contras and freedom fighters and friendly governments around the world to fight back against the communists and stop the Russian advance. That's what we're doing in Ukraine. No American troops. I agree. Um, and they fight like Spartans. Here's uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, excuse me, Governor Gavin Newsom, before he debates Governor Ron DeSantis, making it clear he's the heir apparent. Cut 22. The border, we, we all agree we have a border challenge. We all agree challenge? We, need to, we need to reform the asylum system. We agree in strong borders. That's wildly overstated, but I get your fundamental point. Clearly, the challenges are more acute today. And by the way, I don't need to be educated on this. I have the largest land port in the Western Hemisphere here in the state of California. So did he sound to you... Number one, he is uh, terrible on the borders, terrible on immigration, terrible on taxes, terrible on energy. Uh, He's terrible on homelessness. He's terrible on crime. This is a fallacy. He just looks the part and is light years better than Joe Biden. Are you worried that Gavin Newsom will be the nominee? Um, I think that he is positioning himself very clearly for the for the for the likelihood that Joe Biden will not be the nominee. Because I think there's no way that 14 months from now, Joe Biden is in any condition to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. The, cha- the question is whether they realize it now or whether they uh, or, or whether they uh, will realize it too late when they have no time to replace Kamala Harris on the ballot. I think uh, uh, Kellyanne I, Conway I, yesterday said to middle you got to the middle of October for Nevada if you want to get on the ballot. I mean, if, if, if something I mean, if he had a stroke or something like that, they'd come up with some way to have a, a competitive contest, uh, you know, before the election. But, you know, the the reality is she's less popular than he is. And she and she also can't put together a coherent sentence, except she doesn't have age as an excuse. Right. She's just dumb. You know, so I, I would you know, the best thing in the world for Republicans would be to have Kamala Harris end up being the nominee. But that's, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom is, is mm. absolutely positioning himself to be the guy to step in and take okay. that job. Mark Eason's his story in The Washington Post helped uh, fuel that debate last night uh, about Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Mark, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. All right. We'll take your calls. And then Doug show next. Brian Kilmeade show. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Whether it was lunches, phone calls, White House meetings, or official foreign trips, Hunter Biden cashed in by arranging access to Joe Biden, the family brand. The Biden family and their associates received millions in payments from foreign sources, including from Russia, China, Ukraine, Romania. In one email, Hunter Biden even bragged that he cut a deal for 10 million from just one company for, quote, introductions alone. And yet the DOJ wanted to keep the spotlight as far from Joe Biden as possible. So here's the deal. That is the beginning. That's Jason Smith. That's the beginning of the impeachment inquiry uh, by this Republican-controlled House. Now, this is a legitimate inquiry. And I think, you know, you have uh, Jamie Raskin now talking and telling everybody uh, why this should not be an inquiry, which you don't have. What he's saying is these people are related to Hunter, not to Joe. Now, they're basically throwing Hunter under the bus. If you listen to what they say and making this up, there's no there's nothing that leads to Joe. But now they first said Joe knew nothing about it. Now they heard that the Biden brand is all Hunter had. He said that. So are they giving away the Biden brand without telling Joe Biden when you find out that money is actually going to Joe Biden's Delaware house? Where is this money? Because there's another memo that said Hunter's selling his uh, uh, one of his family members. I'm out of money. Jim Biden. Uh, Uncle Jim, help me out. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're 62 hours away from shutting down the government of the United States of America, and Republicans are launching an impeachment drive based on a long debunked and discredited lie. No foreign enemy has ever been able to shut down the government of the United States, but now mega Republicans are about to do just that. But they don't want to cut off public services to the people and deny paychecks to more than a million service members without first launching an impeachment drive, even when they don't have a shred of evidence against President Biden for an impeachable offense. Whether it was lunches, phone calls, White House meetings, or official foreign trips, Hunter Biden cashed in by arranging access to Joe Biden, the family brand. The Biden family and their associates received millions in payments from foreign sources, including from Russia, China, Ukraine, Romania. In one email, Hunter Biden even bragged that he cut a deal for 10 million from just one company for, quote, introductions alone. And yet the DOJ wanted to keep the spotlight as far from Joe Biden as possible. That is Jason Smith outlining why they need an impeachment inquiry and why there's so much intrigue still around this story that didn't move for two and a half years. But then when the House got control nine months ago, it is moving rapidly. Some people say not fast enough. I don't know. Uh, I would love to have seen more of his people, Eric Sherwin and others, be brought in to testify again. The whistleblowers move things forward rapidly. The Hunter Biden uh, plea deal fell apart on its own, fueling more people to say Hunter's bad, but Joe isn't. That shows everyone's moving a lot. Look for Dan Goldman and Jamie Raskin to push back hard. But when people come forward and start to hear this more and more, over 50 percent people think that Joe Biden had something to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. These are on every poll. If I took that poll, if I took that poll, I guess in 2019, 2020, 
I would think it'd be about 11%. And for Joe Biden to say, I know how problematic this could be for my family, but I'm running anyway. And he got the nomination because he was tapped by Jim Clyburn because Bernie Sanders so unacceptable would have been an epic loss. So that's what they're doing today. That's the impeachment inquiry one day after the second debate. So there's a lot going on and to move forward with for people to know not only are you not you're voting for a guy that's 80 years old, you're voting for a guy that in the past has done corrupt things with his with his seat to benefit his family. And that's what I think is important uh, for people to understand that they're going to get out of this today. James Comer was on uh, this morning with Mornings with Maria. And here here's what he said about the money. The money that wasn't just wired, it was wired to President Biden's house. Cut 38. That's why we want our, the personal bank records, and that's the next step. Look, this is the first wire that I've obtained that did not go through a shell company, and that's very important because we're fixing to issue subpoenas for the personal bank records. And what the, the Bidens have been arguing to the media behind closed doors, their allies in the media, is that, uh, well, you know, all the business was transacted through the shell companies. Nothing was transacted through the personal accounts. That's why they don't need to be nosing around in the, the the president's family's personal accounts. This is a quarter of a million dollar wire. And then there was another $10,000 wire that was sent directly to the president's son's personal account. So we have evidence now that shows they were also influence peddling directly from foreign nationals to their personal accounts. So I don't know why things take so slow. I mean, they're not giving up these records. For example, 5,000 text messages uh, emails, rather, with Joe Biden's pseudonym, some of which are cc to Hunter. Can't get them from the National Archives. National Archives was so desperate to get documents back from Trump. They need them right away. Call the FBI. Somebody's got to help me. i got to get them back from Mar-a-Lago. But when it comes to getting any type of – these are librarians. When it comes to getting archives over to investigative committee, they're just not interested in doing it. Can you believe that even the National Archives is politicized? Can you believe this? So when people say, well, Comer's going so slow, well, there's no sense bringing Hunter in, Eric Sherwin in, if you don't have everything you need to ask them the question to get them to get to the facts. If you call them in too early while you're still waiting for the wire transfers, the shell companies, the bank records, then you go, I got to bring it back. Well, listen, my client already came in. You know, that uh, We already handled this. Here's more from Comer. And uh, by the way, he's testifying today. Here's more from Comer uh, about why they're doing what they're doing. Cut 38. In the beginning, they tried to say there was no evidence of wrongdoing by any Biden, but I think that ship sailed and the media has finally accepted that the president's son has committed, you know, many crimes, many serious crimes. Uh, But this investigation isn't about the president's son. This is about Joe Biden. And that's what uh, we hope to get across the American people on Thursday. So what they're saying is this. Let's just get to the facts and find out what happened. I will tell you, just like with Trump, there's almost zero chance of him getting impeached. But I would think it's worth the investigation to find out if our foreign policy is being affected by investments that his son put forward. And I also think it's fascinating to see that Donald that Joe Biden never stops telling those horrible rich people to pay their fair share of taxes. That's all he's asking. He doesn't hate billionaires, but he wants them to pay taxes. When his son made millions of dollars, the money's gone, and he never paid taxes on any of it. And he was about to skate through it if it wasn't for whistleblowers coming forward saying we were in the middle of investigating this, and we were told don't touch Joe and don't touch foreign business transactions. 
And that was a bridge too far uh, for Shapley and others who have come forward. And I did right now, by the way, I think it's terrible. Evidently, they're having a real hard time working at the IRS now, which whistleblowers are supposed to be protected. So they're having a hard time doing that. But they did it as apolitical figures, but they just saw such an egregious abuse. Now, at the same time, you watch the way they're going after Trump. You see what happened yesterday? I know how busy you are, but one of the myriad of lawsuits is the Trump organization, uh, the Trump organization, and they, they indicted investigated, I should say, this civil case, uh, Donald Trump Jr., Eric uh, Ivanka, and, of course, uh, Don Sr., the former president of the United States. And they said, wait a second, you got all these buildings, you got all these loans, you got all these insurance policies, and you inflated the worth of uh, your your self-worth and the uh, worth of your properties. So we're going to investigate. No complaints from the insurance agencies or the banks. Nobody says we didn't get paid. Not a construction worker said, I didn't get my money, and here's my invoice. Nobody. But they decide to investigate him because that's what Letitia James ran on. They look at it. They say, in our view, a judge who has no real estate experience, but in their view, this Democrat who ran unopposed in New York, in their view, uh, he inflated the cost. He's not worth $3 billion. He's worth $2.3 billion. And he inflated the worth of his properties, uh, air rights or other things. And therefore, we are going to – we don't know the full span. But this is the speculation. They're going to take his business licenses away, put his assets into receivership, and sell them off piece by piece, destroy his company, while fining him $250 million. If that doesn't offend you, you are so blindly anti-Trump that you're just incapable of looking at things fairly. And understand, if someone's worth $100,000 the IRS wants to go after you, they'll destroy you. You talk about what happens when people go through divorce sometimes and they feel as though the, the system is bent against them. I've never seen anything like it. You're talking about a guy that's been rich and famous and, and, and lost everything and gained everything since the 1980s. And I know because I just did a six-part series, uh, hosted a six-part series on who was Donald Trump, which is going to be on Fox Nation. So whether he goes up and down, if you do something illegal, you go into bed with the mob, you do what Senator Menendez seemingly has done, which you uh, get gold bars from Egypt, okay? But there was no allegation of corruption. There was an investigation to see if there was. And Letitia James, who ran on it, is looking to destroy his company. And one thing that is abundantly clear, I've never bought a golf club nor aspired to or had a building built that wanted my name on it. But I know this. Mar-a-Lago, where I've been, is worth more than $18 million. I thought Jesse did a great job yesterday in pointing out $18 million in Palm Beach, Palm Coast, is an empty lot. His is worth like $300 million minimum. And they, the judge says, no, it's worth eighteen. So if you're saying that he's inflating the cost of his properties and the worth of his properties, and you're saying Mar-a-Lago is $18 million, nobody in the planet think it's worth $18 million. Nobody. Nobody would say that. And if this judge get away with it, they go to an appellate court and another court. That means if they could take down a former president of the United States with at least 74 million voters, realize we are doomed If they decide that you're in the wrong city at the wrong time with a judge that just doesn't like you, Alex is in that city. He's in Brooklyn, New York. Alex. 
Hey, good morning, Brian. Yeah, and all of these things have nothing to do with, with one who was president. So it's, yep. it's not like, oh, my God, it's threatening our national security or any of that, and he didn't go after him before he was president. This is definitely political. And, you know, he might bring in witnesses, um, you know, to show that his properties were worth more. Are they going to go after the witnesses and say the witnesses are lying because the judge determined the property is worth less than that? Uh, it's different ways of, you know, deciding what it's worth, and, and you could disagree on the worth of it, but this is totally crazy. I wanted to say about the um, government shutdown and the impeachment, I think that this is the wrong time, I think, to, to focus on impeaching Joe Biden when we have a government shutdown. The perception oh, of it yeah. is pretty bad. Um, and, I, I, and I think that I don't think Republicans should focus so much and, and use the word impeachment now um, when, when they don't have the concrete evidence. I think there's circumstantial evidence. But if we're trying to make a point that Republicans are not political and the Democrats are using the system to use to, against Republicans like they did to President Trump, which which happens to be is persuading a lot of independents to, to say, hey, I'm going to vote for Trump to fight the corrupt uh, DOJ and the system that we have now because it's politicized and and it's corrupt. If, if you can't 100 billion percent prove that Joe Biden got the money from China and you're going to impeach Joe Biden. I think a lot of independents are going to say uh, it's corrupt on both sides. And it's the Democrats going after Trump, but the Republicans are doing the same thing. So politically, I think it's it's terrible. Well, I think a couple of things. I mean, he basically lied in 2020 and said, I have nothing to do with my son's overseas business dealings. And they did a study. They did a report afterwards, a survey. And they said, if you knew that President Biden was knee deep in these investigations and that was, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop, would it have, would it have affected your vote? And they said yes. So for the fact that he can look into the camera and lie and say what he said, and it's all proven to be incorrect. I think that says something about his character. And I think people should know that before they vote this time. I also think we should find out if some of the reasons why he's so erratic when it comes to China, you know, being tough and trying to assemble allies around China to try to contain them, but at the same time sending all his cabinet secretaries there to apologize to them. If you wonder, well, is this just bad policy or is he compromised? I think we could at least find out about that. And the other thing that's frustrating, Alex, which is why they did this, is they're not able to get any records. I mean, you wanted Trump's taxes for what? There was no reason to get his taxes. You wanted to find out why Hunter Biden was doing business with all these people that people have come forward and said they did it. We know we did it. It's all on the laptop. And then you wonder if Joe's compromised because of it. Don Jr. and Jared Kushner were in one meeting with one Russian official, and they said that was the smoking gun. This guy was at multiple meetings with different officials from the Moscow mayor's wife to Burisma executives to find out to see Carlos Slim in Mexico City. You have to wonder, is this guy trading on the United States good name? I think it's worth it because an election's coming up. But, Alex, point taken that you're in the middle of a government shutdown where you can't get your caucus to agree on anything and and continues to be even a continuing resolution. And you're doing this. But this was on the schedule prior to that. Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Yeah, uh, Brian, I have a question for you and Mark Beeson and Tim Scott in yep. regard to Ukraine, Russia. And this is this has nothing to do with whether or not we should be supporting Ukraine or not. This has to do with the rhetoric that you guys are using about destroying Russia's military. How is it good for the United States, for the country who holds the most nuclear weapons in the world, to have their conventional military ruined, thus leaving their nuclear weapons as their only resort as to their last resort. Good point. I would never said that, and I think you heard me qualify with Mark. I would say you're backing an ally who happens to be taking 
a major enemy of the United States down to size. If you ask me to play it out and say, what has it done? Well, you have an aggressive enemy of America trying to uh, trying to upend us in, in our uh, foreign relations as well as our military activities. And then you have Ukraine says, if you give me the weapons, they've taken 30 percent of our country. I just want to take it back. And then I'd like to uh, I'd like to be a stalwart of democracy and grow into what Poland has become in Eastern Europe as we make the transition. And so when people push, you go, well, what's the downside? A country's invading another country is bound to take other countries and they're doing it and losing. They're losing to a power that doesn't want to be invaded. And what we're doing is supplying weapons. And as far as Russia goes, it's up to them to prethink this stuff. They have a terrible military. They have an unwilling people unwilling to fight. They've been lied to about the reason they got in there. And they were told they were Nazis in a country that was not an aggressor. And they will finally, after taking two provinces from Georgia and taking the Donbass region and Crimea from Ukraine, flying into Syria and propping up Abbas, they will finally met their match because people actually stood up and fought them. So it works in our interest. But I also think that we fought a Cold War without fighting for 50 years knowing a nuclear war could happen. But you have to show Russia you will stand up and block them wherever they go to be aggressive. Just because they're not the Soviet Union anymore with those natural resources and big army, they are still people that have those ambitions. And they need to be, they need to be confronted everywhere. We're going to come back and take some more of your calls. 1-866-408-7669. I'll also get to your emails at briankillme.com. Don't move. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmead. President Trump recently said that your dealings with China were so egregious that in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. That's right, he said that. That's correct. He is suggesting that you be punished by death, the former commander-in-chief to his former top military advisor. Um, look, I'm, I'm a soldier. Uh, I've been faithful and loyal to the Constitution of the United States for 44 and a half years. Uh, and my family and I have sacrificed greatly for this country, my mother and father before them. And, you know... As, as much as these comments are directed at me, it's also directed at the institution of the military. It almost seems odd to ask this question because the former commander-in-chief seems to be calling for your execution. Are you worried about your safety? I've got adequate safety precautions. I, I wish those comments had not been made, but they were, and we'll take appropriate measures to ensure my safety and the safety of my family. So uh, I appreciate General Milley, anybody who gives uh, 50, 60 years, but it sounds like it's been rewarding when you become a four-star general, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But I don't agree with almost any of his decisions, and I don't believe he's being sincere when he says he's not being political. He go, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm referring to other interviews. That was a cut from Nora O'Donnell from 60 Minutes, but I watched him uh, on two or three other interviews. Oh, I just served. This is what I do. And let me do an analysis. Maybe we shouldn't have trained Afghanistan with Western principles. Maybe we should have used more of a tribal uh, model. Excuse me? You've been there? We've been out of there for like five seconds. And you go, in retrospect, in retrospect, you sat there and allowed President Biden to make a decision that you knew on some level would be an epic failure. You've allowed billions of dollars of equipment to fall into the hands of the Taliban, who have defined the word terrorist and extremists. 
And you say, well, I'm a soldier. I'm just following orders. And I think that I can, you know, I owe it to them not to put my stars down, just to execute the best I can. At the same time, you don't say you're political, but you cooperate with every anti-Trump book out there. Trump didn't mean execution. He meant that the call you made on January 6th to China without telling anyone behind the president's back is treasonous. That's what he said. And in the past has been Benedict Arnold. If they got a hold of him, they would have killed him. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where we have outraged governors of uh, and mayors, Democratic Party with the President of the United States and the border. I never thought that I would be broadcasting what seems like a border city, but I actually am. Uh, because it has become the, one of the top issues. It's on the cover of, like, every New York Post. Today, especially, they're doing selfies at the border. These people are supposed to be refugees to come in here with horrific stories. Instead, they're coming here in basically Under Armour outfits or Joe Biden campaign T-shirts. It's incredible. Uh, in a matter of moments, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Doug Schoen at the bottom of the hour. The always funny. You see him on Gutfeld, Jamie Lissau. We're also monitoring the impeachment hearings. Uh, the inquiry hearings that are taking place right now. Jonathan Turley's here, uh, is now speaking, and so is a North Carolina, Uni- University of North Carolina professor who does not think this inquiry should be taking place. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hunter Biden explicitly wrote to a business associate that he was not willing to, quote, sign over my family's brand or give this individual quote the keys to my family's only asset impeachment inquiry officially begins today as they learn more and more about the millions that hunter earned and now is missing we have a interaction showing that he's asking jim uncle jim for a loan number two to the striking workers i support you and your goal of fair wages and greater stability but If your union leaders will not demand that Crooked Joe repeal his electric vehicle mandate immediately, then it doesn't matter what hourly wage you get. Yeah, what hourly wage he means to say uh, get because uh, your job is going to be gone because you don't not need it to make electric cars. Donald Trump, the far ahead front runner, takes his team to Michigan, where he is trying to get past UAW union management and right to the blue collar worker. Will he be successful and win back Michigan again or would he have been better off at the Reagan Library last night? Number one. This is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Uh, a lot of people thought it was too abrasive. Debate two is through. Where do we, what do we learn? Where do we go from here? Who are the thrivers and survivors? A man that's been through it all, uh, veteran politician, uh, political insider himself. He's a pollster, former advisor to the Clintons, as well as Michael Bloomberg, Doug Schoen. Hey, Doug, welcome back. Brian, thanks so much for having me. Uh, First off, I'm looking at the inquiry on one hand, and I'm looking at Donald Trump in Michigan, and I'm looking at the debate last night. Who's benefiting more? Do you think Trump did the right thing as a frontrunner to go to Michigan and not to Simi Valley? Given what I saw on that debate stage, and given how uh, all over the lot the Republicans were. I think he did. 
you know, he's up 40 points. It turned into a screamathon. Uh, there were lots of back-and-forth attacks. I don't think Donald Trump's would have served his interest by going. And frankly, my take when people ask me after the debate who won, the winner of that debate, as with the first, was Donald J. Trump. Who got the most speaking time? DeSantis, 12 and a half. Then Ramswamy, 11.50. Then Scott. Then Christie. Then Pence. Then Haley. Then Bergram. Uh, the top subjects... Border security was number one, got five minutes and 50 seconds. Government spending, okay, 446. Education, 420. Foreign policy, 412. Race, three minutes. Illegal drugs, 259. The economy, 243. That shocked me uh, because the economy is really number one on almost every uh, people list, correct? It is, and I would have thought Fox Business would have focused uh, more finally. They did, to be fair, talk about... Uh, uh, inflation, and they did reference briefly the economy. But I, the top question I expected was, what are your specific plans to grow this economy and to avoid uh, the kind of chaos we've had with Joe Biden? And so far, you would label it chaos, or are you looking at that from Republican perspective? Do you like it? I, I, do you label that, Doug? Yeah, I do. I mean, you've got inflation is up 18 percent since he took office gas prices are skyrocketing grocery prices are skyrocketing more and more people are having a tough time making a go of it more and more people are living paycheck to paycheck and more and more people are rating their own economic circumstances as negative brian from where i come from that's chaos Here's what uh, Governor DeSantis says. He desperately wants Trump on the stage. Cut six. The people in Washington are shutting down the American dream with their reckless behavior. They borrowed, they printed, they spent, and now you're paying more for everything. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. And the crowd did cheer after that. But to me, my analogy seems to be, and it's not in my interest in my network, uh, even though we had 13 million last time, and I think we'll probably get a lot this time, too, close to that. And that's huge in this uh, diverse TV network. I think you'll agree. Uh, But I I almost think it's like winning the division and then playing the wild card game. Why? Why play the wild card game? Especially because you could lose to a hot second-place team. Well, exactly. And, you know, the... The first rule I learned in politics when I started as a young man, Brian, was as a shrewd politician, you never expose yourself to controversy where there's a lot more downside than upside. And when you're up 40 points and everybody's going to gun at you and people like Chris Christie and now Ron DeSantis are taking direct shots, why show up? Let them argue among themselves. And frankly, I don't think as a group they look particularly good. So when I look at the UAW strike, I think it's fascinating. Normally you just say, okay, Democrats are for the unions and the Republicans are for non-unions or management. Uh, and, but now it's, everything's gradually flipped. It must be fascinating for you where it seems that more and more blue-collar workers see eye-to-eye with Republicans. And Donald Trump had to work with unions his whole life. He's not naturally anti-union. But now the, the, the nugget, the, the thing that's a little different now is the rise of the electric car. And that is solely on the shoulders, and Joe Biden wouldn't deny it, of Joe Biden, subsidized by the Biden administration. That puts him at odds with UAW, doesn't it? 
it puts them at odds with UAW. It's 4% of the market uh, tops. 96% of the market is uh, based on fossil fuels. And the Democrats, as you point out correctly, Brian, are sinking with blue-collar workers, and this emphasis on electric cars is only going to continue and exacerbate that decline. So my party has a terrible, terrible crisis it's facing, and I don't think 12 minutes of Joe Biden on the picket line is going to change things one day. So, Doug, um, you are not, uh, even though you're a Democrat, you never dug in, uh, no pun intended. Joe Biden seems to be doing worse every day. Uh, there seems to be problems with every speech, seems to be problems with every message that he puts out. People worry about him falling downstairs again. Word comes out in Axios that he takes walking lessons uh, on the side. He's down the baby stairs on the plane. And when he goes to ad lib after spending 13 minutes with strikers, he goes to a fundraiser. No interviews, no pressers. We've never been down this road before like this. Watching Gavin Newsom last night, knowing that Pritzker wants to get in, Polis possibly uh, would get in. You have uh, Governor Murphy would get in. Senator Cory Booker probably thinks that last time was an anomaly, he'll get in. Do you see something changing over the next month or two? You see, I think you didn't mention the most likely person to get in. And I think that's Kamala Harris. And what I suspect Joe Biden will do if he pulls out, and it's an if, but if he pulls out, he will wait until Christmas, stay uh, out of lame duck status as long as possible, and effectively anoint uh, Kamala uh, if in early to mid-January he says that he won't be a candidate. And it'll be pretty darn tough for any of those governors to take her on, given her institutional position, her fundraising advantage, and the power of uh, the black leadership in the Democratic Party. So why is it that I watched a young Barack Obama, I think 42 years old, just jump in on Hillary Clinton and didn't care that everybody in the establishment was upset? Why is it that in the 70s, was it 70s, 80s, excuse me, Ted Kennedy said, I don't care about the institution, I'm jumping in. That Ronald Reagan jumped in on Gerald Ford. Why is it that these, these younger men or women, Whitmer and company, feel reluctant to jump in at a guy that's not just unpopular. He seems unable to do the job. What am I missing? Well, you're missing the, the fact that it is very expensive uh, to run a campaign. It takes an enormous amount of time to put together a campaign. And uh, it, it's one thing to say they should jump in. It's another thing. And I've been through uh, at least two, if not more, presidential campaigns. It is very, very challenging to do it. And it's a lot easier to talk about than to actually accomplish. And when somebody has a head start, like an incumbent president does, as Jimmy Carter had in 1980, and Kamala Harris, if she be the nominee or prospective nominee in 2024, will have. And indeed, Al Gore had in the year 2000 when he was challenged by Bill Bradley. So knocking off incumbents, insiders, is a real challenge. So it's going to be interesting because President Trump went to Michigan. His instincts were great. Trump, excuse me, President Biden followed and made it Tuesday to beat him by a day. But he was on the ground with a piece of oak tag and a, a two-by-four uh, picketing, pretending to, or speaking to them on a bullhorn. Donald Trump went and spoke to them personally. Here's a little of his message. Cut 26. Sure. Every time Joe Biden and the UAW's political leadership talk about 
a fair transition to all electric cars, American labor will be under siege. It's not going to work for you. It can't work. He went on to say this, cut 27. By the time this battle is over, the rusted out factories will not be here in Michigan. They'll be in Beijing, Shanghai, and other parts of the world. Taking it back. We're taking it back. And the rare earth has got to come from China or a China-owned subsidiary because they've been locking up the rare earth for the last decade or so. So his message is pretty crisp and pretty direct and I think would resonate, don't you think? I do think I do think it's resonating. And, you know, the Democratic Party has now devolved to become an East Coast and West Coast party uh, appealing largely to financial and political elites. So I want you to hear what Joe Manchin said, who's got his hands full if he does try to run and keep that Senate seat with Governor Jim Justice about 20 points ahead of him in very red West Virginia. Listen to what he said when asked about Joe Biden. If the election were being held today, would you vote for Joe Biden for reelection? Well, I never thought about that because I have not gotten to that point yet. I think there's an awful lot to, to, to be sorted out before we so even you're not come saying down yes. to it. You're not saying yes, you would vote for him for re-election today? I'm not saying yes or no on this. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm looking at the state of my country, where I believe that we need to be. So read between the lines, Doug Schoen. He's still considering running as a no-labels candidate against Joe Biden, uh, so he's not going to say he's for him. He's already said he's not really a Democrat anymore. And he knows that he has two bad choices, running against Biden, potentially dividing the Democratic vote and probably not winning or running uh, uh, against justice and starting 20 points down. Both are not ideal choices for Joe Manchin. So if Cornell West gets in, and I think he is, and stays, yeah, I do. Yeah, if no labels put something together, if Trump and Biden, they said they're definitely going to do with it. I think they're you would know better than me, but I hear they're on all 50 states or close. I if they so. if they get in, uh, it, is there any school of thought that it hurts anyone more than the Democrat, which would be Joe Biden? No. And if Robert F. Kennedy Jr. also considers a candidacy on the libertarian ticket, which he is apparently doing, that would further uh, make it difficult for Joe uh, I'm sorry, for Joe Biden to emerge victorious. Would Mike Bloomberg consider joining the no labels ticket? I don't. I don't think he is at all considering that. He had his chance to run in 2020. Uh, he did everything he could to elect Joe Biden. He is focusing now on his business and his philanthropy. So I guess that's a no, but he is did meet with Zelensky uh, about yeah, maybe and, Zelensky was getting some advice about rebuilding his country. And, and I, and I'm very glad that he did that, and it shows the breadth and depth of Mayor Bloomberg's philanthropic commitment. Doug Schoen, go get him. Thanks so much. Brian, thank you always. You got it. All right, listen, right now we're going to bring, when we come back, I'm going to bring you some highlights from what's going on right now with the impeachment inquiry. You got a lawyer there at the University of North Carolina who thinks they shouldn't be having this inquiry. You got uh, Jonathan Turley who says a strong case to have just that because there's so much more to learn. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot going on. So glad you're here. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
the shortening intervals between impeachments should be a cause of concern and circumspection for all the members on both sides. And I want to emphasize what it is that we're here today for. This is a question of an impeachment inquiry. It is not a vote on articles of impeachment. In fact, I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. That is something that an inquiry has to establish. But I also do believe that the House has passed the threshold for an impeachment inquiry into the conduct of President Biden. Especially with all the headwinds they've had as they try to find out why you have shell companies, why you had certain meetings, where the money is, and why even the National Archives won't cooperate. That is Jonathan Turley, and the impeachment inquiry has begun. And I think it's a sincere investigation, which they had to go to these lengths because nothing like us, nothing seems to be working to get people to be totally candid. But they're starting to get people to come in. Just a quick note, uh, Teddy and Booker T, the, my book comes out November 7th. I think you guys are going to love it. A two American icons blaze the path to racial equality. Just two people you don't hear enough about and how they work together to bring us through in a very important time. I put together all my books into a show on stage. Well, we have uh, little scenes that we put together that we have fun interacting with the audience. We also talk about Fox and take your questions, and, and Fox Nation is going to be a part of it. They're going to stream one of the events. And I'm going to be in Red Bank, New Jersey, November 9th at the Vogel. And I'll be in Huntsville, Alabama, November 18th at Mark Smith Center. And then on the 19th in Montgomery, so the next day, followed by Pittsburgh, Holland, Michigan. You'll see it all there on BrianKillme.com. You can just go get tickets, and you'll get a book with every ticket. Let's go to Kyle in Illinois. Hey, Kyle. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Hey, good. You, you don't think we should be supporting Ukraine? Absolutely not. So we should just let Russia just take every country they want, even if they're allies of ours? If Ukraine's an ally or Russia is an ally. You don't think Ukraine's an ally of ours? No, I well, do not. Then you think you're getting bad information. I don't think so. And so... You previously stated that Russia has lied to its troops. Now, I served over eight years in the military. I still talk to people who are one of the guys I know. He's still he's ready about to retire. He's still on active duty. We all have the same conclusion. Can I tell you this, Kyle? I appreciate your service. Just real quick because we're coming up against a break. You really believe Ukraine and Russia, you can't figure who our ally is? Hey. They stood up on a stage and lied to us and told us there was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. One, one thing, would you believe you believe that Russia and Ukraine are, are they're equal? No answer. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We get a lot of, you know, good support. And lately, Brian Kilmeade's been great. But even this morning, Brian Kilmeade was actually... But he's he's actually changed. You still watch it a lot, then? I I watch it, yeah. So that was from what, Allison? What was that? It was from an interview Trump did earlier in the week, but he he was singing your praises, Brian. You know, the thing is, it it makes me feel as though he thinks that... If I agree with him, I'm doing great. If I disagree, I'm not. He just hates unfairness mm. because even when he was uh, mad at me, so I was like, he, we'd still talk and we just disagree. I think that he should find a, a difference between disagreeing and not being fair. I mean, I, I think it's a, the line has been so blurred. 
It has, but that's also how he rolls. But did you like that? I played that so we can press Jamie. Oh, I was honestly very Jamie impressed. Jamie here. Did you, you, when you, when you heard that, do you know him well enough now? I don't know your relationship with Trump, but I got some, didn't you guys get chills in the other, I, I heard that and I went, that is so cool. He did yeah. throw in one, actually, he's right. actually pretty good, so, but it was a huge compliment, <laughs> Right. but I was, I, it gave me, I was like, oh, that's really, that's really, how's that feel when you hear that? I, well, put it this way. I think it's good, but it also worries me a little bit because I'm just being me. We know he probably watches and we know he gets disappointed, but we disagree on a bunch of things, and I'm thinking when that comes up. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, the um, you know, he came up one time, and he just goes, well, George Bush lied about Iraq. And I go, no, he didn't lie about Iraq. I go, And I'll tell him like this. He's like, well, Brian's being bad to me. I don't know what happened with you. And I'm like, excuse me, I just disagree with you. I'm not being bad with you. <laughs> so, like, you and I have not had a disagreement. Mm-hmm. But if it did, I hope it wouldn't hurt our relationship. If, if I have a disagreement with the president, it will hurt our relationship. I think that's, that's true. Right. Also, what I think of you won't affect – it doesn't affect anything. The country. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It won't affect the country as much. It doesn't affect much. the country, your right. career, nothing. It right. has nothing to do with it. I There's think a lot it would more be pressure. a little bit. Because then I'd get, yeah, we keep calling Jamie to come in and do radio, nothing. <laughs> right? That'll be – that will affect my show and my yeah. future and ultimately my renewal. You're actually very good today on the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> big change. Uh, big change for you the other day. Oh, you're great. That's. I thought that was really cool. I think that's cool. Right, yeah. But I see what you're saying. So you think – Trump. I'm just being myself. I'm not right. And the thing is, I you know, I, I, I watch the other channels, and I see they don't give him at all a fair shot. And what happened when he was president, Jamie? We didn't even know each other then. So let's say he goes out and he's you know he Kim Jong Un. He's going to have a meeting with him. You know, he flies back and he he had a, like a series of great interviews at the UN. They start making progress on this China deal. Every time there was something, they'd be like more revelations in the Mueller report. More revelations with Ukraine. That phone call is really coming. We got somebody else to step forward. Mm-hmm. Somebody else used to work there. Now they're writing a book. And I'm saying to myself, every time this guy did anything good, they're like, we're going to find something to pull it back. And it made it seem like Arthur Fiedler, who mm-hmm. was not Arthur Treacher, who does fish and chips, but Arthur Fiedler was a great con- uh, conductor, that someone is doing that to make sure he doesn't get traction. And he still was en route to reelection. So that makes me, when I watch that, I go, I get it. And then when he like turns on our channel and he feels we're not giving him a fair shot, which is disagreeing, that's when he goes off. Because it does it hurt you more when a friend does something to you or a stranger? For, yeah, friend. Mm. Friend, you're right. And I think when one of my favorite things Trump ever did was when I don't even know what they were asking him questions about. It could have been anything. But when he said, I'll go on your station and I will answer anything you want, but you cannot edit the feed. You have to air it as I speak because he knows they're going to. You could cut up anything we just said and make us both look bad. You could play anything, you know, and, and make it look a certain way. So I thought that was very brilliant. That made me feel like this guy just wants to be heard as he as he speaks. Right. You know, uh, quick comedy question. Uh-huh. You got the debates. Mm-hmm. You got with the impeachment the, inquiry. You got you the election. Trump or the other stuff. Um, no, no, I mean Trump. Okay. Yeah, not the I think your disagreements. What, what, uh, you tell me how you're writing now on your uh, your Kindle. Yeah, it's a Kindle scribe. It's Kindle scribe. You might be selling it. Are yeah. you are you selling it? You, People, that's how much you love it. Can I say something, Brian? I am in love with a girl now, and I'm in love with a Kindle scribe. No one wants to hear about either of them. <laughs> People are so. My phone has never gone to voicemail more than when I want to tell them about things. So I can't you, stop about you know, it. Have you ever thought to yourself, what if she asked you to make a choice? How are the Kindle scribe? It happened. Right. And then. It's hmm, tough, man. Go to a commercial and think about it. (laughs)
Uh, so I'm saying when you're doing this, will you write stuff down off this knowing it's got a short shelf life? Is it even worth your time if you're not doing Gutfeld? I'm so glad you asked me that because I just started doing a – I don't think I would call it a residency. I think I would call it like a partial residency in Las Vegas, Nevada at wow. the Laugh Factory Tropicana. So every two months I do a show, and I noticed after the first – a lot of times comedians will do – I will do one hour for like a year. You work on a new hour. Right. Then you put out a special. You do another But I noticed the second time I went – I was there two months ago. I, I walk in on the way in, and these people are like, oh, we saw you last time. Can't wait. So many people said we saw you last time. Uh-oh. I think to myself, i got to do a different show. And so I embraced it, and I yeah. decided to promote it as it's always different. If you, okay. you can come every two months for a year, and it will never be the same. And so I've been using joke like it's more current. And so now those jokes have the sh- the gut. Fe- I could do them on Gutfeld. I could do them in Vegas, and then we put them back on the shelf. So yeah. And by the way, December. Uh, this is your next appearance. Are you taking a long time off? December ninth, you're going to be in Idaho. Are these just what you want to promote? That's just where I'm working near my girlfriend. Uh, that's my first theater. My first theater show. Oh wow! So okay. I, have, I have other. Day so you could, you could order these tickets now? You can order these tickets now. Yeah, so uh, December 9th at Boise, Idaho. Uh, a link for the tickets is at Jamie's Instagram. Uh, other stops include Bloomington, Minnesota, Tampa, Gainesville, Orlando. Wow, Port Charlotte. You'll be in uh, Dana Beach or Dania Beach? Dania, so it's basically Miami. Uh, okay, Chicago, Illinois, Phoenix, and Sioux City, Iowa. So that'll be great. So I was give you, I'll give you an example. I was doing something. Michael Loftus has got this stage show. Yeah. And it'll the first 15 minutes, uh, 10 minutes was on the balloon, the spy balloon. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he goes, it would get killed. And he goes, well, the bad news is it's done. Right. Because the spy balloon wants it shot right. down. It's got a couple of days. And I'm wondering at one point, you're like, you know, I need something that's going to last. Like you got your divorce, you got relationships, you have a new relationship. Yes. That'll last. Yes. Jokes are similar to my marriage. They don't last. And you have to, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's so true. I see guys sometimes, I, I'm blanking because I'm not a big sports guy, but there was this guy. There was this guy that was a, was a Chicago Cubs announcer, and he was really famous. Harry Carey. It was Harry Carey. And there was a guy that his entire act <laughs> was a Harry Carey impression. Dead 15 years ago. I remember when ago. he died, we're like, dude, clock's ticking on your whole act. <laughs> That's all he did. Right. Hope yeah. he has a 401k. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. But the clock does tick on, uh, we call them you know, evergreen jokes, jokes that are about buying shoes or being in relationships as opposed to. But I think it's fun to do both. I love doing I did a set this weekend, last past weekend in Vegas, right. where all I did was talk about Joe Biden for 45 minutes. And how much was written down? Almost, like, I, I looked at some notes. I looked at some jokes I'd done on Gutfeld. But every joke is from the past month. All right. And as a comedian, it feels so good. It's a different part of your brain that comes up with a joke than recites a joke. So if you pull a joke that you've done a bunch of times, it's this part of your brain. You're almost like doing a speech that you've done over and over. But if you if you get that part of your brain where you wrote the joke, it's this energy and it's more fun. You don't know they might not laugh. You don't. I don't even know how to say it. I've never said it before on stage. Right. And so it's super fun. So do you worry too? Because uh, I don't know who is who we were talking to. Who was the comedian last week? He said to me, you know, I stay away from Trump jokes, and he's a big Trump supporter. Well, let's just say one of the last weeks, he's a big Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Bye, stay away." He goes because and lets it's. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. Because it gets because it's polarizing? Polarizing. He says that I'll get, gro- I'll get groans because some people will laugh, but if I have a third that's groaning, mm-hmm. I failed. I see. I hear what you say. I try to, um, whenever I talk about comedy, I always feel like I'm not Dave Chappelle. Like, what do, what do I know? Like, but I find that, especially because now I get a lot of Gutfeld fans coming out, but sometimes their neighbor 
is liberal or whatever, so yeah, they bring yeah, yeah. and I want them to have a good time too. So when, like if I do a Trump joke, for instance, like one of my I don't this is not hilarious, but it's a joke I did for a couple of weeks was about when Trump did the thing and he wanted to go alive and he didn't want to be taped. And I, we, I was thinking like he's going to kind of be boring anyway because he's going to just say I plead the fifth. It was one of those where everything they asked him. I know he's going to he doesn't want to say anything, so he's going to say I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. And so I would do a joke like I wish to make it more exciting. There were more things you there were options instead of saying plead the fifth. I wish there was like five things you could say. Like if they go, hey, what you know? Did you were there top secret documents? I wish you'd go. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> like I wish there were like a few different op- to keep it fresh. Uh, I am so, Robert Yoglo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So you could do. So sometimes I'll go that route. Right. Where I don't think people... that's what she said. Yeah, that's what she. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, just like to give something. It's like an intentional walk. Yeah. The go catcher's going to stand up. Is going to put his mitt out. Can we just walk? Right. Right. So unless there's something else that could happen. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm sorry. That's a great point, though. Yeah. Uh, I want night, everyone to like me. The late night shows are coming back Monday. Uh, they have not been out. Mm-hmm. I remember other strikes. I remember when Jay Leno says, I'm going to write my own thing. It was a big deal because you know why? Uh, we were pulling cuts from the late night shows all the time. When they went on strike or they went on vacation, it kind of affected the show because yeah. we like to bump in with something funny. For the last three years, probably more, not, right? You even check it. Remember the Daily Show, John Stewart? Even if it was negative. Mm-hmm. On Fox, we it's we funny, right? Daily shows dial tone. Now they literally have nobody. They're coming back Monday. What do you expect? Do you think anyone's going to come back and start going on both sides, or it's still going to be Trump's terrible? Look at his hair. I uh, can't believe he's running again. The indictments. Nothing will change. And what's funny is I am in the Writers Guild, and I'm also in the St- Screen Actors Guild, both of which are on strike. And I forgot that they were coming back. So I told I broke yeah, news. I was to like, you. "Oh, that's cool." Like it does not affect. So it didn't bother them that you are going Gutfeld, a non-union thing, and you're going on. It doesn't. I wondered if it's non-union, so I I was in no way in breach of any kind of contract, or I wasn't. So, but it's because it's non-union. I guess I'm good. I decided to to ask. Uh, what do they say? Ask forgiveness, not per, not permission. That's what I decided to do. That's good. Like, just do it, and then if someone. Has a problem with it. it. It affected only one thing in my life. We, I might have mentioned this on your show before. We, we wrote a sequel to The Animal, the Rob Schneider movie from the 90s, and we were supposed to shoot that six months ago. So the only thing it affected with me was I, I'm a producer on that movie, and I have a little part. And so that got moved to next year, but that's all it affected my life. didn't affect what I watch at night. Right. When you say producer, you, will you be on the set when your scene is is like the scenes that you're there? I mean, you know, I, I'll make like right. coffee or sandwiches, like whatever people want. Like, will you do um, a scene? You write a scene. You see the actors act it out. Will you like if they screw it up? Do you walk out there and go again from the top? <laughs> last time, not the way I wrote it. Like, do you have that side to you? I do. I don't. I don't <laughs> at all. And um, I I pitch jokes. That's it. Okay. I put, like I'll go like can we I go hey can we maybe we do that a different way I got a joke for you right but for the most part I feel like the actors we get are way better than me oh. and so I don't even know <laughs> that's more the director's job so right. the director could say like hey I want that I just sit there at the, I eat a couple snacks I drink Why do some I bother? sparkling water yeah. <laughs> and I go I pitch some jokes and sometimes I I'll stay sometimes I'm on set the entire run of a movie wow. I wrote for like months but this one I'm gonna do a few weeks in and now we got John Cleese coming we've we've been working with him a little bit recently how's he doing. So, He's isn't great. He, isn't he old? He's pretty old. He's doing live shows, though. But he's still great. He's doing live shows. He's crushing it. Yeah. He's as sharp as can be. He still sounds like John Cleese. Which is the best when he is. Yeah, quick quick plug, but he um, he did a movie we uh, I wrote with uh, Rob Schneider's wife uh, a couple months ago, and it's going to be, uh, it's called Daddy Daughter Trip. It's available in, I think, all the Walmarts on December 4th, and Cleese is in that one, and he was, he killed it. He did great. I, I love this. 
Uh, and by the way, Jamie will not talk to me unless I have a show or a radio show. But this is great conversation. I almost feel like in real life we could be friends and we wouldn't have any awkward moments. I want you to feel like that. Right. Remember we were getting coffee earlier and you tried to talk to me. I go, hey, where are the microphones? Exactly. I don't want to waste And this. that hurt a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. We're going to take a short time out and come back. And we're going to talk about something you thrive at, and that's relationships. I can't wait. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. To see the high fives with mom, to see how, you know, Chiefs Kingdom was all excited that she was there, that shit was absolutely hysterical, and it was uh, it was definitely a game I'll remember. I know I brought all this attention to me, right? I'm the one that was, I did the whole friendship bracelet thing and, you know, told everybody how hurt I was that I didn't get to meet Taylor. You gotta shoot your shot. Yeah, you know what I mean? You miss 100% and you don't take, baby. <laughs> That is Travis Kelsey talking with his brother, uh, the Eagles uh, offensive lineman, about dating uh, Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. So, and it's because such an uproar. Did you see Jamie Lasau? And we're going to get to your plug because I know that's all you're really here for. (laughs) So, um, did you see the ratings? Even though they were 40 to 10, the ratings effectively tripled when they saw her in the box. Is that right? While watching the Chiefs game. And she's going to be at MetLife this weekend. And we're not even sure if the, we're not even sure the American people are not sure if this relationship is more than a friendship. Wow! So it, it, they're almost you... onto something. Like the, we care so much. Yes, I can't watch two guys fight in a match unless I know their stories. Like if you go, that guy Same was poor me. and he fought. This is a bit of they're learning a little bit about TV, which is like we want to know the backstory, right? Of some of these guys because we know them individually. Yeah, uh, this guy wins two Super Bowls. Does doesn't really. He does an interesting thing that I don't really do, but he shaves, but it's not too close. Okay. Like, he's got the shadow beard. All I like that. Makes him look tougher. And also, say he uh, loses 89-0, to zero, they go, hey, he's got Taylor Swift, who cares? Exactly. He doesn't care. But that's not good for the team. No. <laughs> right. If you're on his team and suddenly your best player doesn't care. That's true. Because he's got a pop star for a girlfriend. I worry about this. Right. I, think, I think he might not care as much about football. Right. And this is all people were talking about this weekend. And so I walk in on Monday and I say, oh, oh Taylor Swift was at the game. She's cheering a little bit loud for a guy that's up 30 points after he caught a three-yard touchdown. Yeah. She acted like she's never seen anything so crazy. <laughs> I'm like, this is a woman that sells out. Uh, Wembley Stadium, 110,000 people. Wait a second. That guy who's really strong with great hands just caught a pass from three yards away. I've never seen anything like this. Do you think he ever gets confused and he's in bed with her and he's like, Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> That's, but the, 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 whole, I don't know the only problem with is. your premise I don't know anything about is football. he's a tight end. Damn it. Right. Again. All right. So she'd be lying. So the answer is no. Okay. I don't think this is happening. But are, but are, you, are you amazed that – because our lives are working out so well, I'm focusing on other people's lives. Uh-huh. Uh, are you are you amazed that someone that famous, attractive woman, diverse mm-hmm. who seems fun, is having trouble with a long term relationship? I I, I would not, I would have had a different answer if it was six months ago, but I I totally get it. I think that this is going to sound really. I think that love is so important, and I think when you're a Taylor Swift. I think sometimes the adulation you get from right. thousands and thousands of people does not fill that little little hole that a real person and real love fills. Like it's strangers versus someone you truly care about. And so I almost think it could be almost when she feels real love, she's like, wow, that's what that feels like. And so the long distance is tough. And also I have trouble now that I have a girlfriend. I'd love to ask you this question later, but I wonder if I should not say I have a girlfriend because I have some ladies that message me on Instagram 
You know what I mean? You know, like an actor comes out and they go, oh, I'm gay and you're not supposed to because well, I don't right. I have some older fans, you know, that maybe I can ask you about that later. But I think that like that. When you want to. You want, I've always to want heard to the share. other way, like women, you shouldn't say go make it big deal that you're married because you want guys to think they got a shot at you, exactly. and you want high ratings. Exactly. So how would I think and, that? Yeah. As much as I appreciate you deferring to me, shouldn't you ask her? Oh, uh, right. <laughs> I'm thinking like Brian says I should start stop to start denying I have a girlfriend. What's strange is she says I should never mention her. She's, really? Yeah, she was like, I think it's a fun thing that you're like the loser. Because on Gutfall, they go, oh, I never get, you know. The last thing you want is to see that picture of you and her because she's extremely attractive. Yeah. And she, yeah. She goes, you, I think you should. She'll be, I'll tell her later that I told, talked about her on. And she was like, I told you to stop. Stop it. And I'm like, I can't. Hey, uh, Allison, as a, as a woman who's, by the way, also married, but I shouldn't say it on radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, you like, would you think less of Jamie if you thought he wasn't a loser? I just think the jokes are totally different. The divorce right. jokes are amazing, but I mean, he is just like a little puddle for his girlfriend right now. So it's very cute, and the jokes will be very funny with that too. But but they, you know, he always goes on as the divorce guy whose pa- whose but family now, left him in Alaska. Brian, did you notice Jamie's wearing new shoes right now? He's not wearing his Crocs. Where do they come from? Right. Where they come made from? Some suggestions. <laughs> she did. She's already had... some impact. Remember, I wore those Crocs on your show because it was I crazy. Didn't... I, I thought you had a desk, and we'd be behind <laughs> it. <laughs> no, we saw them. Uh, and Jamie, the good that you and Joe Biden want to get extra grip when you walk. That's right. Something you could be present. <laughs> From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.